If you're happy to be in church, can I get a hallelujah? Woo! Can I get a high five from somebody? Come on, look at your neighbor and say high five. I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad you came. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. How many enjoyed some of the nice weather this week? You all enjoy it? I put in my 30 miles on the bike. I was out there. It was a little windy, but it was worth it. Y'all who are praying for snow, we, we ask you to stop now. You can stop praying for snow. We've had enough. We want spring to come. Amen. I'm praying for global warming. Amen. Nothing against the environment. Just, I just want more hot weather to come. Uh, we also have uh, just a great opportunity in this weather to get out and share our faith. And that's what they did in the life groups this past Friday. They shared their faith. The adult Bible studies went out. Almost a total of uh, uh, 60 people went out in three different locations. Isn't that awesome? And then the youth had 75 that same Friday night. Let's give it up for Jesus. Almost 150 people doing something for God just on the Friday. So that's what we're doing in the church. We want you to join with us, and that's what today's message is all about. So if you're new with us, we're going through the book of Ephesians. We started in 17. We're going to end it by God's grace in 18. So it's going to be a two-year series. It's called In Him. We're learning what Paul had to teach the people of Ephesus. They were Christians converted from paganism in the Roman Empire in the city of Ephesus. And today we're going to go into chapter 4, 7 and onward, and we're going to learn about the five-fold ministry gifts. You're going to learn that there are five gifts that God gives the church, five dimensions for people to be used to serve God. And you're going to realize real quick this applies to you because in the church there are not big eyes and little U's. I'm going to show you what I believe is the proper interpretation of this passage that these gifts apply to you. And if you are saved, they are already deposited in you and God wants to make that withdraw and activate you today. Amen? Okay, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Notes are always online and on the app. What I want to do, though, is go through the beginning portion of this passage and just explain a little bit to you. This does not need an entire uh, sermon. So as you have been tracking with us, and I ask you to read the book of Ephesians at least once a week, you have seven days to read your Bible. It only takes 20 minutes to listen by audio or half hour to read. I read my Bible seven days a week. How many do that? Okay, don't lie in church, but you all like your Bible. Amen. We uh, study the Word of God here, and so I ask you to do that. Audio Bible, literally put it on while you're exercising 20 minutes, and it will bless you. But uh, this portion does not need a whole sermon. As I was praying, I just thought I would explain it. And then, as you can see, kind of hiding right here at the bottom, verse 11, we'll get into our sermon. But let me start at chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. How many of us get the grace? Each one of us. How many of us? Each one of us. One more time. How many of us get the grace? Each one of us. So now think about this. As we get into verses 11, this is connected to verse 7. The very thing we learn here is that each one of us has grace. Now something that I want you to see that the Bible was written in Greek is that that word grace there is charis. Everybody say charis. My wife's uh, family comes from Thessaloniki, which is also a name of a Bible book, Thessalonians, and her family, and, and she speaks Greek. And so I can give you a little bit of the goody here. The grace, oh, the word here for grace is charis. Everybody say charis. 
And that is actually the root word for charisma, where we get the English word gifts. Now, you might have heard charisma translated charisma, uh, charisma, charisma rather. I've got to know my language here. Uh, charisma, and then those who believe in the gifts of the spirits, charismatics, okay? So someone can just say in any context, well, you got charisma. That comes from charisma, gift in the Greek. But the root word of charisma is charis. Everybody say charis. It's grace. Now notice this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now notice why it's important to understand the grace and the gifts. Because look at verse 8. That is why it says, now Paul quotes the Old Testament, when he, talking about Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave what to his people? What did he give to his people? Gifts. And so here we see that the Greek word there, gifts, is charisma, or the word doma, which means to grant or to give. But charisma is where we get the word uh, charis, grace, gift. And so we can understand that gifts come from the grace of God. Now, what you'll notice if you go back and study the Old Testament, because uh, you have to do this, by the way, the Old Testament was the New Testament believer's Bible. What you'll notice in Psalm 68, verse 18, is that it actually says, as he ascended on high, he received gifts from the people. And so a question comes right here, was Paul mis, uh, remembering this wrong and misquoting the verse? No. What he's actually doing is taking apostolic authority to expand the verse into the context of what it applies. So not only did Jesus receive gifts, we know that that is true, so that's not that, a contradiction, but he also gave gifts, and that's why Paul added that in there. So you don't see a contradiction, you see a complementarian uh, version of how the apostles would use the Bible and expand it. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to his apostles and expand their minds to understand the truth that he didn't have the opportunity to do in those three years. Now, why is this important that we understand the grace and the gifts? Because when we get down to understanding the gifts that Christ himself gave, as we know as the fivefold ministry, now this is where people in the church want to say, well, that's just for you guys up there on the stage. That's not for us. No, look at the context right here. But to each one of us, how many of us? Each one of us has the grace been given as Christ apportioned it. And as he took many uh, people captive, he gave gifts to his what? To his people. So are you an each one? Are you in each one, yes or no? Yeah, you're in each one. You're in Christ. You're no different than the Ephesian people today. And are you God's people? Yes, so that means what applies to them applies to us. There is no expiration dates on the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me uh, explain to you. There are three different categories of gifts given by the Holy Spirit. There are the sign gifts initiated by the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and described in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those are nine spiritual gifts, and those are for today and for everyone. There is the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of Christ, Galatians chapter 5, which is given as a gift. You don't earn the Holy Spirit being inside of you and the character of love, joy, peace, and patience, etc. And then lastly, there is the ministry gifts, which we learn of five here. And then Romans mentions others as well, the gifts of administration and so forth. These gifts are given to each one of us as Christ apportioned it, and he gave gifts to every single one of his people. 
So today, you and I are not supposed to be asking, do I have gifts? That is not the question. The question you should be asking is, what gifts do I have? Now, let me just help you get over a naughty, prideful attitude that sneaks its way into the church in the disguise of religion and false humility, which says, well, I don't have any gifts. I'm just a a stay-at-home mom, or I'm a plumber. I'm not a pastor. You see, that is pride. That is is not what the Bible says. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman, and he was one of the greatest evangelists that ever walked on this earth. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber, one of the greatest uh, teachers that we have ever seen. Carlos Nacondi of the great Argentine revival was a tool shop owner. Are you listening to me? Peter was a fisherman. Do not exclude yourself from operating in the gifts God already gave you by your pride. Christ has given us all gifts. And he has given them to his people. Now what we need to do is get into what probably is, in my opinion, the most, um, I would say, hardest to understand passage out of the whole book of Ephesians. So a theologian, if you get two of us in a room, we're probably going to disagree on what this means. I'm going to tell you what I believe it means. I'm going to show you some scriptures. We're not going to park here very long. But now Paul is going to tell us when the gifts were given, and I believe it's going to be during his time in the grave. If you want to know what Jesus did while he was in the grave, Paul is going to explain what he did, okay? So to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Paul starts with the ascension, but then he goes back to say he first descended to the lower earthly regions. I don't have time to get into this, but I have Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31, and 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22 for your further study. But let me just summarize it as best as I can. In the Hebrew Bible, Sheol was the word for the grave. Everybody say Sheol. In the New Testament, it's Hades. Do not confuse Hades with hell. Hades does not mean hell in the Greek. That's Gehenna. Everybody say Gehenna. Hades and Sheol are synonymous. One is Hebrew, Sheol. Hades is Greek. This is the place of the grave. The Old Testament people, when they died, had one of two places they would go in Sheol or Hades. From this point on, I will simply refer to it as Sheol. Is everybody tracking with me? They had two places they would go to in the grave. One would be Gehenna hell. The other one would be paradise, also known as Abraham's bosom. That is the passage in Luke 16 where Jesus mentions the righteous man Lazarus going there while the rich man was in hell, okay? What I believe Paul is describing here is Jesus's descent into the lower regions, into Sheol, to preach judgment to the people who rejected the prophets and the law of Moses and show them that what you rejected in part, what was types and shadows through the prophets that you didn't want to do or listen to through Noah and so forth. I was telling them to do that stuff. I'm here to tell you now you're being punished for what you did. And then he went to those in Abraham's bosom who were not able to be regenerated or born again yet because he had not died yet, but but they believed that when they died, they would die in hopes of being with God in his presence, that they were taken from Abraham's bosom to the presence of the Lord. That is what I believe when 
it says, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He took those who were captive to the grave in a place known as paradise and brought them into the presence of his father. I will show you now 1 Peter chapter 3.18 because I'm getting a lot of blank stares. And this may help win a little bit of you over to not think I'm making stuff up. For Christ also suffered once for our sins. That's the death on the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He put to death in the body. He was put to death in the body, rather, but made alive in the spirit. Now look at verse 19. After being made alive, that means after he died and he was alive there in the grave, he went and made proclamation. Because by the way, when your body dies, you don't stop existing, people. Do you understand? You just transition from this life to the next life. So after the life ended, his life of the spirit began in the grave. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. I believe that's the ones in Gehenna to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So now it's up to you whether or not you want to believe me, but let me just summarize to you what happened here. Paul says that when Jesus was in the grave, he descended and he ascended and he gave you all some gifts. You all ready to talk about that? Okay, that's what I got to say about that. If you want to study more, we can do that in the life groups with your leaders. Let us read verses 11 and 12 together for our passage on the fivefold ministry. One, two, three. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Thank you. Now you see them. There's the fivefold ministry. Who gets these gifts? Who is Christ giving them to? He is giving them to each one of us. Each one of us. Could I make it more clear to you? Each one of us. Word for word in the scripture. What people did he give it to? He gave it to his people. Amen. Now, let me continue reading, then I'll explain how I believe this works. So he gave these gifts to the body of Christ so that it may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, which also means perfect, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. You are to obtain to the whole measure of the fullness of God. And we are to not only do it individually, but corporately as a church. Then in verse 14, it says, you will no longer be infants. God does not want you to stay Stay immature as a Christian, nor as a member of the church, being tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The only reason why people can charge money for holy water and get you to pay $150 for a conference is because you're acting like a baby being blown back and forth. Amen? You should be able to say to pastors, hey, man, if Jesus gave it to me for free, you should do the same thing. Now, I'm a pastor who writes books and makes a living off the church and offerings. When did pastors start thinking that it was time to make a living off pimping the people? Why is the knowledge of God coming with a price now that you've got to subscribe to their podcast for $9.99 if you want all the goodies? Man, to hell with that. I got the Bible for free. I ain't spent $10 on that. Now, somebody may say, well, you're going to spend $10 on the world. Why not spend it on Christ? Well, that's just thinking like a fool then because the Bible says freely you've received, freely give. So all of our information is free. If you want to buy it on a paperback, you got to pay the printer that I pay to get it printed out. But you can get my books for free online in PDF, all of our sermons for free, and all of our conferences are for free. Are you listening to me? And not to mention on top of that that they charge you most of the time to teach you something heretical. So you're literally giving the money to the pimp saying, here's the money, and now would you please pimp slap me? Keep your money and save yourself the time of being pimp slapped. Amen? 
So let's not be babies in Christ anymore. Let's grow up in the Word of God. Let's be a part of the fivefold ministry. And that's why it says in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, all of us will grow to become in every respect the perfect, the mature, the teleos in the Greek, the perfect body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love, builds itself up in love as each part does its what? As each part does its work. Amen. So here's what I've come to the conclusion of because I've been preaching like this for a while. I just think some people like being pimped by the religious enterprise because y'all don't want to do any work. The people who get involved in that, it's like I'll pay you $150 to tell me three sermons about how I'm the leper and I need to touch Jesus and I'm the woman with the issue of blood and then I'm blind Bartimaeus. Tell me 10 different sermons about how I'm busted and disgusted and every time I got to get saved at the end or get blessed at the end. They never tell you how to be the apostle that laid hands on the sick. They never tell you how to walk in the righteousness. All they keep telling you over and over and over again is this is who you're not and be encouraged because this is who you can be. When do I get to be who I'm supposed to be and do what I'm called to do? That's why we give it away for free because we need every hand on deck. I'm not here to wait for you to pay the 150 to come to the conference. Come and do it because everybody has to work in this. We've got to do the work of the, of the ministry because this is what Jesus left us to do. Just take an example of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and onward. Just look at it and understand why the church is so important, why the body of Christ, not just a building, but the people underneath the steeple, amen? It's the people that are the body of Christ. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and go uh, join worship conferences and concerts. Therefore, make Christian memes on your Facebook. Is that what it says? Therefore, go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Some things Jesus taught, just the things that get people coming back every week, feeling good about themselves, and Oprah will have you on her best book list. No, and teaching them to what? Obey everything I've commanded you. Now, notice this. She says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The invisible church is here today. What I mean by that, it's not that you're invisible, but our authority is invisible. You see me up here holding a microphone. I don't look as impressive as Mayor Rahm Emanuel or Donald Trump or so forth. And so I don't have a military weapon or sword. But you have to understand the authority that I have and that you have today, though it be invisible, is the authority that will conquer this earth in Christ's name, not by violence, not by jihad, but by the judgment of God. And then I, along with those who have served Christ, will rule and reign. The, vis the invisible church will become visible upon this earth. And so right now what we are supposed to do is go win the nation. Nations. Once again, not by force. Do not think we take it over by force. That's why we don't have to lift up one sword to get somebody to convert to our religion. That's how desperate Islam is. And then they make it illegal for the Christians to convert because then they'll behead them as an apostate. That's not what Christianity does. We'll give you a choice. You can go to hell if you want, but I've chosen to go to heaven. Amen? That's why our nation, with some Christian principle, gave us the freedom of speech. And so here is the deal. If you are in the church today, this ought to be your desire to do the work of the Lord and to receive these gifts. So now the question is, what gifts do you have? And let me just draw them out a little bit, and then we'll talk about how you can recognize them. When we look at what an apostle is, apostle is someone who is sent out a disciple to start new churches. Today's missionaries, church planners, can be considered modern-day apostles. Paul's a biblical example of an apostle. Romans 1 verse 1. Now notice this. 
that the apostles that were with Jesus, those were the original, right? Judas hung himself. I believe Paul replaced him, so there's back to 12. And the book of Revelation says there will be 12 thrones in Jerusalem that Christ will rule and reign from. That will be our supreme court. And then the nations will have governors and thrones set up with the churches uh, that the leaders in the churches will be over the people. That's what we will be, okay? But listen, those original apostles had a unique calling to write the scriptures, have encounters with Jesus. Though I don't believe we can have that same ability, we can still have the same calling like them to go start churches and go be missionaries. I think about people who are even in this church right now closing yourself off to this because you maybe haven't gone to Bible college or done, uh, you know, a lot of things in the Christian religious sense, but you need to be open to this. What if God sends you like Gene and Tisa to uh, South Africa to plant more churches there? Who are you to say no? uh, D.L. Moody used to pay the pastors to come and preach to the people that he would bring there as a shoe salesman because he thought he wasn't worthy enough or good enough to do it, and one day that preacher couldn't come and God said, I want you to be the preacher, and he preached then the rest of his life, and like I said, became one of the greatest evangelists. Has God gifted you to be a missionary or a part of our vision of planting 50 churches here in the city? You should be open to that. Prophets are disciples that speak on behalf of God and give spiritual guidance to the church. They are using the gift of prophecy and are given dreams and visions that help direct the church. Agabus is a biblical example of a prophet in Acts 21.10. Now let me just say this, those who grew up watching Power Rangers, there's no reason to be jelly over the yellow Power Ranger or the red Power Rangers. There is five different gifts here and all of us can have one or more. And then what happens when all the Power Rangers come together? What's that thing called? Megazoid. And that's the body of Christ. That's a, that's a modern-day example, and I don't mean to be vulgar towards the church because the church is so much more glorious than that. I'm just saying it's a, it's a modern-day example that we all get to do something great in the kingdom. So I just want to pause and say this. There's no big eyes and little U's. It's not that the apostles and the prophets, though they're the foundation mentioned in, in Ephesians, they're not better than the evangelist pastors and teachers. And so we shouldn't be jelly of the red Power Ranger or the purple Power Ranger. We all get to be one of these in Jesus' name. And another great way to look at it is that I play video games like Destiny and other video Video games where you get to pick uh, different races or characters in that game. And everybody gets a chance to be something great in the kingdom of God. Let us see what God is calling us to do. So that's what a prophet does. Next, evangelists are disciples that are sent out from the church to win souls and train new soul winners. That's like Philip as an evangelist there in Acts 21.8. Now, all of us can be a part of these things. As you grow as a Christian, I've been doing this over 20 years, I've mingled with all of these. Obviously, I started a church here. I've had prophetic utterances and he'd been used by God to direct the church. I do the work of an evangelist. All of us are supposed to do that. I pastor and oversee people's spiritual growth. I teach the word of God. But what you're going to notice is that God is going to begin to develop a few of these strongly in your life so you can focus on them and be useful in the kingdom. And the next thing that we see is being a pastor. And I don't know what happened here. But the pastors, because this happened long before I was around, the pastors must have got together one day and said, let's take over the church. Let's be the only ones on the stage, and let's have everybody call who's in charge a pastor. Forget about the teachers. Forget about the evangelists. Forget about the prophets. Because, listen, how many churches have you been to and called somebody prophet so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, evangelist so-and-so, teacher so-and-so? But how many churches have you been to and called somebody pastor so-and-so? Y'all even do that. With me. And the idea is, is, is helpful. We're shepherding the church. But listen, pastors are not the only leaders. They are not the only. There's five leaders in the church, five fingers that make a fist to knock out the devil in Jesus' name. 
Pastors are disciples that shepherd and care for the church. Pastor literally means shepherd. What do you call El Pastor Tacos? What does El Pastor mean? The shepherd's taco. That's one of my favorites. Disciples that shepherd and care for the disciples in the local church by preaching and teaching. The elders, and we're going to get to that in a moment in 1 Peter 5, are biblical examples of pastors and shepherds. And then lastly, the teachers, those disciples that work in the local church, instruct in doctrine, Christian living. Barnabas is a biblical example of an appointed teacher, okay, in the church. And you can look to Acts 13.1. So now I hope I have at least convinced you. Once again, let's go over so that you can see this applies to you. Paul is saying, but to each one of us, charis has been given so that the charisma or the gifts might be given to the people of God. Are you in each one? Are you the people of God? Okay, then you have been given these things at salvation. These are the things you must withdraw, mature in, and grow the body of Christ. This is how we make disciples of the nations. Just think about it. so simple. Jesus said to his first disciples, I'm going to give you spiritual gifts to make more disciples. But then here's the thing. A part of what you're going to do when you teach him to be a disciple is to make other disciples. So what are they going to need to make other disciples? They're going to need the same spiritual gifts of ministry that the first disciples needed to make them a disciple. And then as they make another disciple, they're going to have to instruct them on the spiritual gifts so that they can make new disciples. That's how the church grows is through the spiritual ministry gifts. Is everybody getting that? If you don't have the gift or the church doesn't have the gift of apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, how is anybody going to be made a disciple? Who's going to win them to the Lord? Who's going to pastor them? Who's going to teach them? Who's going to have prophetic vision? Who's going to start the church they go to? So I don't even have time for the folly of cessationism, those who believe the gifts have ended. There there are three things that I hate. I love all people. I hate Roman Catholicism, but love Roman Catholics. I hate Calvinism, but I love Calvinists. And I hate cessationism, and I love cessation. So I love people, but I hate false doctrine. Don't do anything with those doctrines except repent of them. Amen? And I say that in love. Anybody believes that way. But they're all false doctrines that have nothing to do with the teachings of Scripture, verse by verse. You see it so clearly here. There is no expiration date. I understand the apostles of Jesus were different. They have a separate role, just like there's 24 elders around the throne that have a separate role, but there's still elders in the church. Are you listening? I understand that. These are still alive and well today, and you are responsible, and I am responsible for acting in them. Amen? Amen. Now, let me explain how we act in them. I have a book on this, but uh, you can get it here today instead of reading the book. But if you want more, go to our uh, discipleship-based book online or in the back there. Here's the way to look at it. The fivefold ministry gifts are gifts, and they're given by God. Those who have them must walk worthy of their calling and be appointed to the church offices of elder and deacon. See, where is it in the Bible where it says, if you want to be an apostle, do these things. If you want to be a pastor, do these things. It's never listed out, is it? Because it's a gift. I can't do anything to earn the gift. God gives the gift at salvation. It's initiated when I'm born again. I learn about it through the church. Even Paul said he laid hands on Timothy and the gift got activated in that young man's life to be a pastor and evangelist. So we know that it's given at salvation. The church helps develop these gifts. But it's nowhere mentioned in Scripture what the qualifications are. But what are the places we are told qualifications? Elders and deacons. So here's where we make the differences, uh, the distinction between gifts and offices. All of you as Christians have the gifts, but not all of you have walked worthy of the office. 
And so now your goal is to walk worthy of the office of elder or deacon and to be appointed by other, other elder or deacons. If you can find a position of a cardinal, a pope, any other position, I will become that and pay you $50, okay? So, hey, I found it. Okay, I'll be that now. Kiss the ring. But no, listen, there are only two offices in the Bible, elder, deacon. Elder, deacon, that's it. That's why Paul, who wrote 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 10, listen to what he says. This is a true saying. If a man desires the what? Office of a bishop or overseer. Those two words come from the same Greek word episkopos, a denomination episcopalians are named after that. But bishop or overseer are the exact same Greek word. He desires a good thing. And let those also first be proved, verse 10, that they may use the office of a deacon, decano being found blameless. And decano just means waiter. Now here's something that I want you to understand, the reason why we use the word elder. Everybody say elder. The word elder is different, presbyterios, from the word episkopos, but they are are interchangeable and used to describe the same position of the main leaders in the church. And the word elder, the presbyterios, is primarily used in the book of Acts. So let me just show you how they are interchangeable. And as I turn to Titus chapter 1 verse 5, let me ask you a question. Am I the boss of Metro Praise or the leader of Metro Praise or am I both? I'm both. Now don't say neither, okay? But I'm in charge. God puts elders in charge. But now listen, boss and leader are synonymous words in our English language, right? I'm the boss of Metro Praise. I'm the leader of Metro Praise. They're synonymous terms describing the same thing. Somebody's in charge. Look at how Paul uses the same uh, position with two different words. He told uh, Titus, I left you in Crete that you may appoint elders in every town. What is he going to appoint? Pastors? Appoint apostles? Appoint bishops? No, he's going to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Here is the rundown. Now look at this when we go to verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household. There's the word episkopos. It's the same exact position. Now, that's the word bishop. But you see, one place he says, I'm going to put an elder, and next place I'm going to put a bishop. Is there a difference between them? Not really. They're just saying boss and leader. It's the same exact thing. And then when we go to Acts chapter 14, verse 23, you'll see how this was the main term that they use. Some people use boss. Other people use leaders. Look at the main term that the early church used in 1423. It was elder. And that's why we prefer the term elder. They said, um, or rather, Paul and Barnabas appointed what? Appointed what? Appointed elders for them in each church with praying and fasting, committed them to the Lord and whom they had put their trust. So this is where I want you guys to get the understanding. It's not complicated. Let's just understand it, okay? Everybody look up, please. Let's apply understanding. When you are saved, you are given one or more of five ministry gifts to build up the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. Those gifts are given to you. You are to now use those gifts. How do you do that? You walk worthy of the church offices. I was given the gift of an apostle when I was first saved. I had dreams and visions of starting churches. That's what led me into Bible college. So before I even went to Bible college, I knew that I was called to plant churches. In Bible college, I got ordained as a deacon. I served underneath an elder. He was an apostolic elder. He was someone planting churches. I, as a young apostle, served Dakonos, waitered him, and then got launched out to become an apostolic elder myself. Here as an apostolic 
apostolic elder, we now have pastoral elders, evangelistic elders, prophetic elders, etc. We have these giftings in the church. We personally at Metro Praise just distinguish them in our culture as all pastoral elders because they are overseeing shepherding elders, but they have gifts to use for the Lord. And it's not just for those of us who went to Bible college. We have people like Ishmael, who will be preaching when I'm gone, who's a governing elder, a full-time construction worker, but has the gift of pastoring and teaching. My father was a Christian businessman, and when he retired, he refired into full-time ministry as an evangelist and as a pastor, went and got his degree. And I've already told you the stories, like I said, of Castellanos or um, uh, Carlos Anacondia and others who can interweave their calling into their secular life. Even Paul was a tent maker. So do not, dis, do, do not disqualify yourself from these gifts because you haven't gone to Bible college. Let the Lord use you in these gifts and then walk worthy of being an elder or a deacon. And that's why it says, this is a true saying, if anyone sets their desire on the, off of being, on the office of being an elder, that's a good thing. So everybody here can desire to be an elder. Everybody. So that means you can use your gift as a way to help others and be approved as a leader. So being technical, and I'm not here to cause an issue because I understand people call me pastor and all of that, but to be technical, what am I in an office position? I'm an elder. There are multiple elders in this church. What are those who are helping the elders? They are deacons. All the elders and deacons have spiritual gifts. Now, who are you? That's the question. Who are you and what are you going to do about it? Do you know your gifts? Have you prayed and seek the Lord? Have you asked the Lord what he's called you to do? You know, I know there's these popular online personality tests, you know, or you can find out what your spiritual animal is or what character you were on that 70s show, and they now want to do that with spiritual gifts. Don't do that because it's not valid. The idea is here is that you seek God in the community of other leaders, and you get a word from the Lord at what he's called you to do. And then it's confirmed by those around you, and then you walk worthy of your calling. So what does that look like in our church? You go to one and you go to 201. At that point, we ordain you as a deacon, and those who serve well as deacon can become elders. In a church like this, we average around 250 people, 200 youth and adults in two services, and about 50 children. So think of about 100 of you here, 25 kids in the back. We do that twice today, okay? Out of 250, you minus the 50 children who can't do discipleship right now, we have 200 youth and adults that can. We just got the numbers from January. Here at the end of the month, we have 166 disciples. Let's give it up for Jesus. God bless you. Thank you. Out of the 166 of you, about 80 of you are in the 101, about 40 of you are in the 201, and then the rest are elders and deacons that are servicing the church. That is how the church grows. Why is that important? That's important because what Paul had just told us up here is that we need to reach the world for Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why God gave you these gifts. He gave you these so that the church could be built up. So now let's just take a look at the five things that Paul lists there because I broke them down and put the verses next to it and get a heart today to have these gifts come out in your life because I want to end with an awesome altar call. Nothing up my sleeve and no manipulation because listen, if we've got to sing a song to manipulate you to come, you've got this thing backwards, okay? Because this is what I want to know. After preaching this, do you want to come up here and pray with some elders and deacons to be initiated into the work of the ministry? If you haven't joined the 101, to join the 101, the 201, etc., to become a part of a life group, connect, mentor, send. It's so simple. Are you with me? Connect to a life group. Get mentored by discipleship. Send and do evangelism. 
That's what we want to see you do. Why? Because of these five things Paul mentioned. Number one, what does the fivefold ministry gifts do? They equip the church for works of service. That's why the cults run from us and you run from them. Or I should say the Baxter Church runs from them. I have a debate this Thursday with an African-American cult that thinks they're the true Israelites and they keep the law of Moses. They're scared of us. They want to cut down the time. They don't want me to bring a lot of people because they get nervous. Jehovah Witnesses see me coming and they go running. Are you listening to me? We debate Muslims and all of that. Now, I'm not trying to say here we are being all confrontational. I'm telling you, we equip the church to take the challenge of the society. We love the gay community. We have people here from gay and lesbian backgrounds, but we equip the culture to stand against the lies of the LGBT movement. God created us in his image, male and female, to reproduce and multiply. We, we equip you with the worldview of a Christian to stand against abortion and so forth. That's what we have a reputation for in this city. People know that we go out and preach the gospel and make disciples. There used to be a time, and I have to do the stats now, out of that 250, 8 out of 10 of you, 80% of you, this was the first church you were saved and water baptized in. Most churches can't even save that. Over 80% of our churches in discipleship, the average is 20 in the country. Are you listening? Only 4% of millennials have a Christian worldview. Our church is mostly millennials under 30, and you have a Christian worldview. Why is that? Because we take the call of the offices of elder and deacon in the fivefold ministry gifts serious. We want to be the body of Christ to Chicago. Amen? And we don't believe that we're the only one. We bless every church that does the work of God. Even if, and listen to me, even if we disagree on the titles and all that, you'll never hear me arguing with people what they call church government. Should we call everybody pastors or elders? And some people want to distinguish these things different. I'll never argue about that. That's not my concern. Just go and do the work. Just go and do the work. I don't have time to sit and be a spec inspector with a bunch of religious people. Are you listening? I'll teach it. I'm a professor. I write on it. I will discuss it in a, in a formal, uh, you know, edifying way. But I'm not here to get into an argument with, say, uh, somebody from Moody who thinks that the prophets and the apostles passed when they passed. Are you listening? Hey, God bless you guys. Do stuff for God. Just don't get in our way because we're going to do the thug dizzle for the loaf of shizzle. Amen? We bless you. We tell stories about your Moody, so don't be booty now and ruin them stories. Amen? Because don't be jelly of the, of the purple Power Ranger, amen? I ain't got no problem with the yellow Power Ranger, you know, Moody Radio and all that. Just don't mess with us Pentecostals because we got the word too, y'all. Are you listening? And that's the problem. A lot of my friends I debate with, and this brother I'm going to uh, debate with, comes from a Calvinist uh, background all of that. And they recognize us as true believers in Christ because they know we stand on the Scriptures even if we disagree on things. There's, there's not just an emotionalism here. You don't come here and just get an emotionalism, do you? You get the teachings of the Word, but it is emotional at times too, right? We equip the church. We build the church to help it grow. We help the church reach unity. Just like I'm telling you, maybe there's a little differences here and there, the ascending, descending, where did Jesus go during that time? Here's our best understanding. Okay, let's have, you know, unity in the essentials, but let's give charity in the non-essentials, right? Let's, let's unify the body of Christ. You meet somebody from New Life Covenant, Moody, Armitage Baptist, Living Word, whatever church you see. They love God. They love people. Let's go unify and do works for the Lord here. Let's start a, let's start a Bible study during our lunch break. High schoolers, let's start a Christian club. Let's go meet each other at Bodiqua Fest. All these churches want me to come preach their anniversary. Now, listen, I can get paid preaching their anniversary, but I say, listen, keep your money, meet me on, on the, at the park at Bodiqua Fest, and let's preach together to the lost. I didn't come here to just preach to the pews because you know what happens when you stay on the pew a long time, right? You begin to stink. That's why they call it a pew. 
Anyway, that's an old school joke. We build the church up in unity. We help the church grow in the knowledge of God. How many of you have grown in the knowledge of God? Just coming to the church, learning, like breaking down the walls. It was never meant to be complicated. The people of Ephesus did not have PhDs from, you know, seminary. They were just ordinary folks, most of them pagans, witch doctors, people who prayed to their ancestors, right? Now they grow in the knowledge of God. It was written, the Koine Greek, you know when you hear me like say a Greek word or whatever, it's like, oh, that's so impressive. It was written like at an elementary level. Some of the New Testament writings are a little bit more complex, but most of it is just like our newspaper, sixth grade level. It's easy to understand. Just take your time and read it every week as we're studying it and grow in your knowledge. Amen? And then the other six days a week, you can read another book of the Bible and grow in your knowledge. And then lastly, mature, perfect the church so that it may be the full measure of the fullness of Christ. We represent Christ on this earth. Yes, it's invisible. We don't see him now in his throne. People don't see the new you on the inside of you, but they can see the fruit that you bear. They can see the fullness of your life. When people look at my marriage, they see the fullness of my marriage, the fullness of my children, right? Come on. They see the fullness of my joy. Does that, does that mean we don't have any problems? No, but I'm full of Christ. How many of you are full of Christ? How many want this whole place to be full of Christ? How many want the rest of this community to be full of Christ? Well, now we got work to do. Amen? Now you got your work to do. You got your assignment. So I want our altar workers and band to come, please. And, and I just really, like I said, I don't want to manipulate this. And you know I get excited. I'm Pentecostal. I can preach. But I really don't want to do that right now. I don't want to be like, do I see an apostle, an apostle, an apostle? I got an apostle. Okay, do I got it? a prophet, a prophet? Where's the prophet? I got a prophet. Do I got an evangelist, an evangelist? Not, you know, we're not, I don't want to manipulate this. This is what I want you to do as we prepare to close. It's just simply ask yourself as we went through the word, and I believe most of you have been reading it with us. I just want you to be honest. Does this settle right in your heart to the experience that you've been having with God and studying his word? That there's gifts on the inside of you. I mean, listen, I know a lot of you here, and I'm not even being prophetic, but I can tell most of your gifts just from being around you. You know, I, I can just get around you and I can say like, oh yeah, Emiliano, gift of a teacher definitely a gift. He loves to study the word of, a God, word of God. Adam, evangelist. Easy. I mean, not to say that's it, but there's just so easy to point out. You could just look around and go, yes, prophetic, evangelist, pastoral. They're going to bring you into their house and care for you. You know, the teacher always wants to talk about the word, maybe debate it a little bit, get on your nerves, right? But they just love the word. The evangelist is going to be outreach and always bringing people, always, you know, wherever a Juan is. You know, we have a friend that invited Juan. Your Juan's always bringing friends to the church. Ishmael, a pastor's heart. Jerry, prophetic. You know, it, it's, it's not hard. Do you, do you see this as you come and, and get a part of the church? Are you feeling it in the life groups, the Holy Spirit moving you to these things? Okay? Now, if you're not saved, we want you to be born again because you can't receive it without being born again. None of these things come by our works, our efforts. So if you're not born again, ask Christ into your heart. Ask him to forgive you. It's that simple, but it's life-changing. When I came to Christ at 18 years old, I was on drugs, but he changed my life like that. And every day I've been discovering more and more about what he put inside of me. When I was born again, I had no idea what it would look like today. That's why we sing that song, I'm seeing things no eye has ever seen. No one's ever seen Joe Y. Rostick have six kids, the, you know, the six in the womb. No one's seen that. 
But God did that because he saved me. What are the things you're seeing right now, right? Those of who are saved, you can testify to the ones who are not saved. So if you're not saved, get saved. These altar workers, these elders and deacons are here to pray with you. And then this is the real deal. If you're not sure of your calling, I want you to come up and ask them to pray with you so that this week you can seek it out and study of the Word of God. If you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in other tongues, we believe that's a part of this. Receive the baptism as you come up and say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want the spiritual gifts, the ministry gifts, the character gifts. I love my Baptist friends, but they need to become Bapticostal. All they have is the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Feel sorry for them sometimes. You need to get the ministry gifts and the spiritual sign gifts. There's no expiration date on them. Amen? So don't just say like, well, I'm just going to let everybody know I'm a Christian because of how much I love them. Well, that is so awesome. You have the Christian character, but also prophesy to them, evangelize to them, teach them. Amen? And what's true about the other denominations is they have them and they don't even realize it. It's like so funny. The guy who doesn't believe in the fivefold ministry is in a debate teaching the other brother. It's like, where do you think you got the gift of teaching? You know what I'm saying? And then some of them want to say, well, all of them, you know, the real, the real wild ones, those are extinct. The apostle, the prophet, those are extinct. But the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, they're still around. Well, isn't that just convenient? You just kind of pick the ones you are and said, those are the ones that are around. And the ones I'm not are just not around anymore. Did God draw a line in there and go like, these, these are going to end. These will continue. No, each one of us for his people. Go to Acts chapter 2 when Paul, uh, Peter was preaching. He uses the prophecy of Joel. He says this promise, talking about the spiritual empowerment, which I said it's all connected. He says this is for you, for all those who call upon the Lord, for all generations, for all those who are even afar off. 2,000 years have gone by. We're still calling on Jesus getting these gifts. Amen? But I want you to think about it more inside out than outside in. If you're already saved, it's not bring it, Lord, gift it, God, I need it, Lord. No, it's Lord, Lord, activate it, show it to me from the inside out, from the outside, instead of the outside in. You all get that? Amen. Let's pray before we go. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray that these words will settle in our hearts today as your truth, that you gave to us gifts to your people apostles, prophet, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that the body of Christ might be built up so that we won't be infants, that we can be equipped to do the works of service. Lord, I pray that we'll walk worthy of these callings by your grace. You'll appoint us to be elders and deacons. And Lord, we'll go out into this world and fulfill the great commission of making disciples of the nations, starting with our families, our communities, and reaching those around us, Father, with your love. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus? Let's give it up for the Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, just a few more moments. We love you, Jesus. Glory a Dios. Hallelujah. Thank you. It's an honor, God, to be given these gifts. It's an honor. I'm not resisting, Lord. I'm just thankful. In Jesus' name, as we're dismissing now, those who want prayer for salvation or empowerment, come on up. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Have a great week. We will see you at Life Groups. Have a wonderful day. Band, would you play as they begin to pray? God bless those who have to go, but those who are hungry to discover their gifts. Would you come? Let us pray for you or maybe make time at the altar and pray on your own. It's okay.
We just want to encounter the living God today. We want to be used by God. Won't you move me? Thank you, Lord, for all those who are up here. If you're waiting for a prayer worker, just wait. They'll get to you. But just worship as we're waiting on the Lord. Those who are receiving prayer, I pray for you to be activated today. For activation to come. Spiritual gifts move. Spiritual gifts move in their life today. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move. We don't want to grieve you. Equip us, use us, sanctify us, save us. I pray that no one leaves out, not sure of salvation and their calling today. Full of the Holy Spirit. Just a few more times, move me. Move me in my family. Move me on my job. Move me in my community. Let's keep seeking the Lord while he may be found, as the Bible says. May we ask and receive, seek and find, knock and the door being answered. Today, may the Lord's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May everyone praying today sense the Lord. I sense the Lord here today, even in my own life. There's an army rising up. Those who are hanging out in the after party, worship and pray with us today. There's an army rising up today. The body of Christ, in which the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The nations belong to our God. The nations belong to our God. Those who can pray, just begin to pray for those places God wants to send you. Ask Him to put it into your heart today to show you a vision of those people, those neighbors, those nations. There's an army that will break every chain. To break every chain.